stopping. Um, and we're running. Okay. So, uh, hello everyone. This is Kevin Andrew Richards from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign here to host another episode of the Playing with Research and Health and Physical Education podcast segment that we call Going Behind the Research. Rather than providing a forum to discuss research that is conducted in health and physical education, the Going Behind the Research segment focuses on telling the stories that surround research we read in scholarly journals. Globally, the segment aims to humanize research by providing a forum to discuss motives that draw researchers towards topics and studies, challenges and successes experienced along the way, and the lessons learned that transcend individual journal publications and impact authorship team uh, and impact future research um, decisions. Each episode uh, will feature an interview with one or more members of an authorship team to discuss stories behind a selected publication. Um, today, I'm really excited uh, to introduce Jamie Brunson, uh, and we're going to be talking about his recent publication. It's a sole authored publication, which they're in, they're in and of itself. I think that there's a, a story and a conversation there. We don't see many sole authored publications anymore in the field. Um, uh, but the, the title of the paper is, it's about uh, bringing people together, one middle school physical education teacher's attempt at deploying character education. Uh, and this is, I believe, currently ahead of print uh, in physical education and sport pedagogy, and we'll have that linked uh, in the show notes uh, for this episode. Jamie, so wonderful to, to have you on the, on the segment. Thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's go ahead and jump right in. So before we get behind the research, if you could please give us a brief overview of the study with the reminder that, again, that article will be linked in the show notes of today's episode for anybody who wants to read more. Yeah, sure. So um, so kind of in essence, this is a, an in-depth case study meant to describe in kind of straightforward terms um, how character education can be taught effectively in school physical education. Um, so just take, to take kind of a bit of a side note, um, when I talk about character, I'm talking about kind of one's identity and one's nature. When I'm talking about character development, I'm talking about the processes by which one's nature or identity is being developed. And then character education refers to kind of the practices and processes by which individuals um, involved in institutions kind of develop their character. So um, the study was guided by a theory called Neo-Sistilian Virtue Ethics. And within that, it espouses kind of three main constructs, character and virtue development, the development of phronesis or practical wisdom, and then um, all under the umbrella of promoting a good life, um, understood differently as kind of individual and societal flourishing. Um, so the study then basically consisted of me providing this framework and a PE-based interpretation of this framework to a teacher uh, that teacher then implementing uh, a character education-based framework to uh, three classes in one middle school. And then kind of throughout the process, data were collected with eight qualitative techniques and analyzed um, through thematic analysis. Um, the findings reported that uh, the participant employed uh, what became known as a thematic approach to teaching character education, as well as um, we identified a couple of challenges and affordances that um, they faced whilst implementing character education in the modern age, and then hopefully uh, some kind of um, important discussion points were made at the end about practice and theory. So that's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, and, and so I, I appreciate that, uh, Jamie, and the way that you describe character education and, and 
I, I really value the, the, the kind of quick uh, side note you took us on there to give a good definition of that, because as you were talking through it, it, it feels adjacent to, but distinct from like social and emotional learning and some of these other things that are, are getting attention in, in physical education nowadays. So how are those linked or related or are they completely different? Ah, oh, well, that that's pretty complicated, um, which is the kind of beautiful part of it. Um, sure. Yeah. So kind of going back to Hellison, um, obviously Hellison identified that um, the effective domain in our field is both a uh, conceptual and a technical nightmare, um, quote, um, in that there's tons of us advocating for different approaches, using different theories, using informed by different forms of socialization, influencing how we understand the effective domain. Um, <clears throat> and then to add to the complexity, there's also a semantic minefield. Uh, in that we're all using same terms under different pretenses. Yep. We're yep. all using different terms to say the same thing, and we can't agree on it, and we won't ever agree on it. Um, so that's a huge challenge that we face as a field, and it's leading to um, significant discussion about, okay, well, what does the active, what are we trying to do as a part of the effective domain? Uh, what do we mean, and how can we best teach this? How can we promote a sort of pedagogical fluency um, despite all this conceptual, technical, and semantic challenges. So um, I I haven't really uh, studied social and emotional learning too intensely, so I, I don't know if I can make a correct argument. I know there's, there's similarities uh, between... Um, I know people advocating for character development are more focused on developing traits, habits, and dispositions. And those that are, those that are doing it... Um, I think doing it well are using frameworks and philosophies to inform their understanding. Um, and, and whereas I think social emotional learning, to my knowledge, there are a series of kind of social and kind of societally informed competencies, which we're trying to teach children and ultimately it impacts how we, um, well, I, I guess the, the kinds of things that children are being taught. So traits maybe versus social values. Um, that's, that's kind of my best foot forward, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a really, really interesting conversation. We, we could have a whole podcast just talking about this one point, I think. But, but what's interesting to me is that when Paul and I worked on the social and emotional learning book um, uh, that, uh, that, that was published a few years ago, at the end of that uh, process, we had it uh, reviewed um, by a, uh, a pretty uh, well-established social and emotional learning uh, expert in, in education more broadly, so not in physical education yeah. specifically. And in the one of the critiques that they gave us that was really like interesting to think through uh, was was that was that their critique of of the affective domain as as not including um, you know behavioral response mm. as not including anything that's demonstrable. Uh, but then when we look for you know in, in this case in social and emotional learning, the argument was well we're looking for people to do things. We're looking right. for, for for behaviors to demonstrate this. So it's more than just a fact. Mm. Uh, so, so that was kind of an interesting conversation to play back and forth. Uh, and I feel like it links in some ways to what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the challenge with it. It all links, but yeah. there, there are and can be kind of distinct differences within what we're trying to promote. And obviously, you know, if we're having these conversations in higher education, we've got time to have these conversations yeah. <laughs> in the literature, you know, never mind what's going on in schools, you yeah. know, and, you know, teachers who don't have time to it, you know, 
engage with the literature to have these conversations with people they're oftentimes relying on their own anecdotal understanding of the world which is you know why studying socialization is so important so yep. uh, it's why it's so interesting uh, so let's uh, let's uh, let's jump in and get behind things now uh, thank you for that little little segue that was an interesting conversation uh, so let's start broad um, what got you interested in this research topic or area more generally, and how does this study fit within your broader line of inquiry? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of things here, and it, we, we talked about, obviously, the complicated aspect of the effective domain, but um, during my PhD, I was, I was reading a lot, and um, the more I was reading about the effective domain, the more I was learning that we didn't really have a grasp on it too, too, too well we're knowledgeable about it but I was kind of really questioning to what extent do we understand it and to, to what extent do we have some sort of professional consensus that allows us to kind of advocate for the same message but also teach it differently based on different contexts ah, yep. so there's a big challenge and um, it kind of got me interested in that and this, despite that kind of complicated part um, the terms character morals values are all discussed and we all use them within the field. Everyone's in some point, in some shape, uh, way, shape or form, we've used this. We use, you know, sport for character or this and that. And, and I'm not too sure if we we understand it too well. So that's kind of a kind of background. Um, but it was during uh, the foundation of my PhD, which kind of really played a huge role in my understanding of this. Um, and specifically kind of to provide context for people, obviously, uh, I went to the University of Alabama um, to do my PhD and you you focus on kind of a major area of coursework. You do so many credits in, in one area, but at least how it's in my experience at Alabama, we had, we had to take uh, kind of four classes in a foundational area or in, in basically what would happen is, is um, to support and supplement your knowledge of kinesiology, physical education or sport pedagogy, you would do those kind of courses and it would enhance your experience. So for me, those classes were based on educational psychology as well as educational philosophy. Um, so it was in those classes really where I was working with people that studied psychology of morality, uh, ethical philosophy, kind of, that's all they did. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Curtis Smith studying socialization, uh, just working with other people. Um, and so those people had a real influence on my knowledge and understanding of the effective domain and some of the challenges that we faced and, um, Specifically, uh, David Walker, Heyman Han, um, uh, Petrovic is another example of, of people that have people that have kind of contributed and kind of pushed me down um, a kind of a different path to, I guess, what we've studied. So, so in a roundabout way, then all of that has kind of led to me wanting to develop two lines of inquiry. One being focused on teacher and faculty socialization, because I think studying that is so important, as well as studying the effective domain, but more specifically character education, virtue education. Um, and so, uh, you know, and I, I, I've been a professor for kind of, this is my third year as a professor and I'm kind of really happy with the work that has taken place thus far um, because it's enabled me to kind of work in schools. And I think it's having a benefit on children and it's contributing to an area of knowledge, which we as a field, um, I think need, need to kind of work, work differently at maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. I, I think that's some really good kind of background setting. Uh, if you heard me chuckle about halfway through there, I worked at the University of Alabama for three years and and know John Petrovic really well. He's a, he's a good man. Um, so uh, narrowing the focus a little bit, 
Uh, could you tell us uh, about the circumstances surrounding the particular study that we used as the impetus for this conversation? Uh, and, and what brought you to that particular set of research questions? Yeah. Um, so two things, I will kind of two standpoints. Um, I moved to Memphis 2021 um, from Alabama. Um, and, and my goal ultimately was to, okay, I'm going to employ the knowledge and use the, use what I've learned during my time at Alabama to kind of conduct meaningful and impactful research. Um, so I moved to Memphis uh, to give some context about Memphis and the general area surrounding it. Um, it's about 300 300 odd schools in the Memphis area alone um, and, and the su surrounding Memphis area. So really big districts. Um, and, and Memphis is in, in the US is a kind of a medium sized city, um, 750 odd thousand people. Um, it's not, not huge in American terms, but it's pretty, pretty big. Yeah. Um, and so with that, it's anticipated that there's about 100 to 115, 20,000 children in the Memphis area slash surrounding Memphis area alone, age between kind of five and 18, working in, in schools. Um, so tons of schools, tons of opportunities to work with, with uh, teachers, administrators, and, and children through physical education. Um, and then, uh, I, so I moved to Memphis, and then my colleagues here at Memphis connected me with a series of schools and teachers that uh, people were interested um, in collaborating and, and doing meaningful work in physical education. Um, and then that led me to um, kind of connecting with a couple of teachers um, and then specifically with this study, connecting with one teacher in particular. Um, but in terms of the research questions, um, my, my biggest, I guess, focus has been to describe in straightforward terms what character education is mm -hmm. and what it looks like in schools. And if we can describe effective practices, then that's even better as well as if we can highlight the realities of school and the challenges to teaching character specifically, but the effect of domain more broadly. Um, so that's really what led to the questions. And, and the questions were, were kind of this, what organizational structure, method and content did the teacher use to teach character? And what uh, barriers and facilitators did they experience when implementing character? Mm. So that's really what led to it. Um, and of course, uh, you know, meeting with the meeting with the, the teacher and the administrators and explaining that to them and, and justifying kind of why I think that's the first step we need to make before answering a series of other questions. Like, for example, you know, what impact does this have? Because, it's, you know, I don't think we're able to describe its, its possible impact on learning and progress if we can't physically describe what it is and how to do it. So that's what led to it. And um, I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great, uh, Jamie. I appreciate that. Um, so, so let's kind of shift a little bit and talk methods. Uh, talk to us a little bit about setting up this study and the methods that you used. You know, really, um, what did you learn from a methodological perspective that you've carried forward with you from this project? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that I kind of really learned, and this was my first year as a professor, you know, um, is that it's it's very complicated and, and it takes a lot of time to set up a study like this and just kind of setting up research in, in, um, in, in, in general, obviously you've got to meet with the teachers. So you've got to build a relationship with them. Um, and you've got to go into the schools, meet the principals, build a relationship with them. You've got to communicate with them. Um, and then obviously the key challenge with that is obviously if you're working with teachers and administrators that are very interested in doing research, how do you do this logistically? And that was kind of the biggest obstacle that I faced 
um, because it's such an in-depth study and I'll go into kind of explain a bit more, but that was, that was the key thing. So building relationships um, with, with the stakeholders and then kind of develop, de developing a plan in terms of logistics about how can we do this meaningfully um, without overburdening individuals within the study in the community. Um, so uh, once that kind of got set up, you then go through the process of, okay, let's figure out, you know, um, completing the, the tasks required for institutional review boards. Um, and as you know, many people know, when you go to a new institution, there's a series of different policies, cultures, influencing the institution, as well as the kind of knowledge of the institution. Um, and so I, I found myself um, kind of having to work with the IRB very closely just to describe and inform them of what I'm trying to do. Um, in many ways, you know, I, I, there was pushback in some senses um, because of the ways in which I was writing the IRBs and completing the forms and the things that I was asking to do, which if you read the study, it's really, you know, I'm not taking anyone's blood. So, you know, um, I, I know it's a bit more complicated than that, but um, so, so um, once that happened, um, kind of that, that was the, the process of setting it up. Um, um, another thing that I learned was that obviously it's, I think it's very demanding to do kind of mm. in-depth research um, and um, it was kind of the most intense, intense study I've, I've ever done. Uh, obviously one of the first studies I've ever done. So of course, you know, hand in hand with being an early career novice researcher and kind of wanting to change the world and do really, you know, in-depth research. So um, so that was a challenge in, in kind of going through the, the review process as well as then once you've organized the logistics, how do you go about managing the data collection, working with the participants meaningfully, and then obviously managing the data that you collect, and then obviously going through all the process you need to do to keep the data um, safe and, and protected, and then destroying it, you know, following successful. Um, so, but in terms of um, the lessons that I learned, um, I think in-depth studies and methods kind of really work. And it was, it was a really rich experience for me um, in that not only did I think the kids in that received the curriculum benefit um the teacher benefited uh from like pedagogical kind of learning journey but also i i learned a tremendous amount about what this is and and um and it kind of really informed my knowledge of 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 i guess what this concept is and how you can go about doing kind of meaningful research um but then another thing that i i learned and i'm kind of talked about it previously is um the importance of building meaningful relationships with with teachers and administrators and the importance of keeping them informed and working with them to conduct the research um that's that's obviously uh, essential yeah. for, for obviously completing the the you know any sort of research but also you know building on the research and that's something which um i'm very thankful that once this study was completed i was, I was very intentional in my view of, okay, you know, I don't want to put any pressure on kind of continuing this research. I want this to be kind of very organic. And, you know, I've both the teacher and the principal were very keen on kind of continuing this work. And I was very happy about that. Um, and, and it ultimately led to um, kind of something I could probably talk about later, but um, serving a community, you know, you go in, you build these relationships, you do something, you see impact, and then your community then starts asking for more. And then, you know, you do more project, which is which is potentially more aligned with the vision of, of teachers and administrators. Um, and then, you know, you're kind of 
growing growing that relationship so um so that that's probably the the, the main lessons um that i've learned um i'm not so sure did you want me to kind of review the techniques that i um, no, I think that that's wonderful, Jamie. I think you've uh, you, you've really given us some great things to think about there, um, uh, and several lessons to draw from this. And it kind of segues nicely into the next question, um, which which is how did this uh, study inform your scholarly identity or future research activities? In other words, what did you learn here that influenced the work that came after? You kind of talked around some of that a little bit before. Um, and so I wonder if you if you might take an opportunity to talk to it a little bit more directly. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found, and I don't know if, you know, you study th this area as well. Um, I, I don't know if you can study the effective domain without asking yourself questions. Yes. Ethical questions, you know, questions that really kind of make you really, I guess, look at the field differently, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, it kind of led me to more questions, which is a good thing. Um, it led me to kind of questioning, you know, uh, what role do, do schools play in moral education and the moral education of youth? Um, what role does our profession play? Should our um, profession play an important role? And all and kind of all those kind of questions, which is I love I love studying and reading philosophy. So it kind of brought me back to that, which, you know, is something I, I enjoyed. Um, so I guess it gave me more ideas about what to think about and write about in the future. Um, mm. the, the research kind of also kind of really enthused me though. And, and it kind of um, reinforced my enthusiasm for doing this kind of work. Cause I think it's beneficial. Um, at least I think it's beneficial for my local community, but I also think it could potentially help um, educate the entire field um, for those that are interested in character development. But it also, it kind of taught me how to do this research more more efficiently i think um kind of give me okay what can i do can i continue this research in more efficient means and and if i can do it um can i do that under kind of maybe less supportive circumstances may you know i might be working in schools in the future which may provide me less support or less um, affordances less time can i do this this research still with with kind of due diligence and quality um but it also kind of reinforced my knowledge that there's no uh one way best way to teach this kind of stuff um while kind of the approach that was identified i think was really robust and thorough that was good for this community and this situation and this teacher's based on this teacher's socialization and so the importance is is you know we need to develop some sort of pedagogical fluency within the effective domain um but also encourage people to do things differently um and then um in terms of my 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 scholarly identity um i don't know i i'm interested in kind of continuing this work providing more more case studies of what this is what it looks like how different teachers do this work um so just kind of enthuse me overall um and enjoying continuing this this work so awesome yeah thank you jamie um so uh uh, do you have any uh, stories accompanying the process of completing this investigation that you feel comfortable sharing uh, that can give us a look under the hood and, and bonus points if you've got anything that can make us laugh? Mm. Uh, I don't think I can make you laugh with this one. Uh, well, <laughs> these two, but um, maybe I'll make you feel good, though. Um, okay. two, two, two nice stories. Um, one being, so Joseph's, uh, the teacher would often kind of give 
uh, home learning assignments to the kids. And they were very voluntary in nature. They were very, you know, these weren't summative assessments, you know, that the kids were enforced to do, that it would impact their grades. They were invited to kind of complete home learning and they were provided opportunities to kind of talk about them in, in class. And um, one of the one of the home learning tasks was something along the lines of, you know, have a conversation with a parent or guardian about friendship and what it means to be a good friend and um, something along those lines. Uh, and there was a couple of others. And um, the, the kind of Joseph was completely blown away by the responses in that not only were the kids talking about the conversations that they had with their parent or guardian or a sibling, but also the parents bombarding him with kind of emails, phone calls, pats <laughs> on the back during, um, you know, kind of parent teacher meetings, you know, saying that they really appreciated the opportunity to do this kind of work. And not only did that enhance their relationship with the teacher, but it also enhanced the quality of physical education and what was being taught, right. the overall contribution of what, what it can be done. Um, Sounds like that. And, and then um, another one, which, um, which was not affiliated with this study, but it's on the same lines of it. Um, another kind of home learning assignment um, led to one elementary student basically having a weekly conversation with her grandfather who lives in another continent um, talking about, you know, every, every Sunday uh, talking about different traits, leadership, um, kind of honesty, you know, tons of, tons of, very human ideals um, with, with grandparents, you know, and that was something which kind of blown me away. I was very shocked when I, you know, and kind of taken away when I heard it, how, you know, a, a third grader was having a weekly conversation via WhatsApp um, with a grandparent um, about these kind of things. And that's, that's the impact that, you know, yeah. that we, we didn't, we didn't turn around and tell her to do that. You know, um, that was just something which, happen naturally so um uh, that, that's kind of a nice a nice little story yeah yeah absolutely um so we're, we're kind of pushing uh towards uh the end of, of the script here um you know uh but before we uh, look to close uh based on this investigation what did you learn about the research process that you can share with other members of the academic community and our listeners hmm. there's, there's, there's probably a couple of things um the, the most important thing which I am I am learning and have I learned through kind of doing this research and other research is that I think service is is the key to success in our field. Um, you know, I obviously as academics, we're meant to contribute to the academic triad of, you know, teaching research and service and services at the bottom. Um, and typically, you know, depending on the institution you're based at, um, service is often less required or the the percentage uh, the allocated percentage time dedicated to that is, is a lot less than teaching and research and hmm. you know I, i'm thinking that could could we imagine if if maybe or, or you know not all but obviously a lot of if we as academics have the ability to go in and work with a community a school work meet with a principal meet with a teacher and try and support them and try and, you know, work with them and figure out ways where, which, you know, we as if, if we're, we have the space to kind of help serve the community, be that through our research, be that through mentorship, be that through facilitating and sharing resources, networking, collaborating people. I think um, 
that's something which kind of I'm learning as a result of, of this research. And, and, and this, this, this specific study started with me kind of driving it. And, but then it, it then kind of changed, um, changed narratives in that the school is now driving what, what they want. And, and that's ultimately what we want. And that, so, so service is the key. Um, I think in my experience and, and in American schools, schools are, are really interested in collaborating with with researchers and and with higher education institutions and with you know private institutions external educational agencies um so you know schools are open to ideas and uh you know obviously granted it's not as not exactly easy to work with schools at times um there's a lot of demands that we they face and we we have to deal with as well but that that's something um um yeah, I, th I think those those yeah. probably those probably kind of the two things that I would say. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Thank you, Jamie. Um, so um, before we close out the segment, is there anything else you'd like to share about the investigation that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet? And then I'm going to see if you'll do a little rapid fire with me. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I have anything else to kind of share, but I uh, one thing I I would I would really like to hear is this feedback. I'd like to hear people's opinions and comments and thoughts um, about, you know, what they thought of it. You know, if there's anything they think I could do differently or to be aware of, I think that's really important. Um, I'd enjoy, I'd enjoy learning about this stuff from, from other people's perspectives as well. So um, there's probably that. Um, I, I don't know if I have anything else to share and yeah, uh, if people read the paper and they'd like to know more, um, happy to, to chat with them um, at a separate time. So. Absolutely. Thank you. And so, uh, you know, once again, the, the uh, paper will be linked in the show notes for today's episode. Um, but Jamie, just as we close out here, um, because we're trying to get to know the stories behind the research, I also think it's fun to end with some rapid fire questions that help us get to know you a little bit better. I have six categories. Um, I think I, I think I told you I was going to do this, but didn't give you the categories. Uh, are you, uh, are you comfortable giving me? Yeah, let's response? go for it. Yeah, All right, cool. It. Uh, first one, favorite color? Royal blue. And, and it's not just because I'm at Memphis. I was going to say, you're yeah. wearing it right now. <laughs> no, I've always been a royal blue person. Although I like crimson too, just not as so, much as royal blue. I've, I've always been a red person. So that was like the perfect, uh, yeah. perfect setup for me at Alabama. And now I've got this ugly orange. Um, uh, I'm yeah. just, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to support orange based on where I'm at. Well, obviously, based on Alabama and Memphis, I can't. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, okay, so second question: favorite animal? Uh, big cat guy, lover Ooh. of cats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very do you have cats? I I do not sadly, but I'm you know I'm, at some point soon. Awesome. I think uh that, that that's great. I don't think I've heard anybody say cats yet. Um, Michael Hemphill said duck. And I think that's still my favorite response. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, favorite season of the year? Well, when I was living in England, um, I aspired to enjoy the summer. Um, rainy, rainy, miserable uh, weather <laughs> in England, moving to the south, 100 degrees summers, can't even breathe. I walk outside my apartment and it feels like I've taken a shower. So probably, <laughs> probably a fall, a fall, honestly. Yeah, or well, the autumn, as we yeah. call it. I'm right there with you. Fall and early spring are my two favorite, where it's mm. cool but not cold. Yeah. I, I hate the heat. That that was the hardest part about living in the South for me. I hate yeah. the heat. Mm -hmm. 
Um, okay, so two more questions. Favorite food? Uh, big, big, big seafood guy. Love Ooh. seafood. Um, but I'm I, I if I was I, I'm big fan of risottos. So seafood risottos ideal for me. Big fan. Oh, I like a good risotto. Um, yeah. but so risotto is usually served with uh, with mushroom, and I'm not a big mushroom guy. Mm. Well, it's a good thing that it's a free country, and you can uh, do what you want and get rid of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, last question. Favorite thing to drink? Well, uh, cult culturally, I have to say tea. Uh, that is, yeah, I'm drinking too much tea. If there was one thing that, that I drank too much of, it's that. So specifically, PG tips. That's, uh, <laughs> that's my favorite. So, you know. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much, Jamie. Uh, that, that's a fun way to end, uh, end the segment. Um, this is a great, uh, this is a great conversation. I uh, appreciated getting to, to know a little bit more about you and the direction that you're driving with your research um, and some of the really cool and amazing work that work that you do. Um, uh, again, the article will be listed in today's show notes. Uh, for anybody who wants to learn more, uh, please feel free to reach out to, to Jamie with questions or feedback. Um, thank you again, Jamie. Have a great day. Thanks very much. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also gonna get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.